What if our foreign policy of the past century is deeply flawed and has not served our national security interests? What if we wake up one day and realize that the terrorist threat is a predictable consequence of our meddling in the affairs of others and has nothing to do with us being free and prosperous? What if propping up regime, repressive regimes in the Middle East endangers both the United States and Israel? What if occupying countries like Iraq and Afghanistan and bombing Pakistan is directly related to the hatred directed toward us? What if someday it dawns on us that losing over 5,000 American military personnel in the Middle East since 9-11 is not a fair trade-off for the loss of nearly 3,000 American citizens, no matter how many Iraqi, Pakistani, and Afghan people are killed or displaced? What if we finally decide that torture, even if called enhanced interrogation technique, is self-destructive and produces no useful information and that contracting it out to a third world nation is just as evil? What if it is finally realized that war and military spending is always destructive to the economy? What if all wartime spending is paid for through the deceitful and evil process of inflating and borrowing? What if we finally see that wartime conditions always undermine personal liberty? What if conservatives who preach small government wake up and realize that our interventionist foreign policy provides the greatest incentive to expand the government? What if conservatives understood once again that their only logical position is military intervention and managing an empire throughout the world? What if the American people woke up and understood that the official reasons for going to war are almost always based on lies and promoted by war propaganda in order to serve special interests? What if we as a nation came to realize that the quest for empire eventually destroys all great nations? What if Obama has no intention of leaving Iraq? What if a military draft is being planned for for the wars that will spread if our foreign policy is not changed? What if the American people learn the truth? That our foreign policy has nothing to do with national security. That it never changes from one administration to the next. What if war in preparation for war is a racket serving the special interests? What if President Obama is completely wrong about Afghanistan and it turns out worse than Iraq and Vietnam put together? What if Christianity actually teaches peace and not preventive wars of aggression? What if diplomacy is found to be superior to bombs and bribes in protecting America? What happens if my concerns are completely unfounded? Nothing. But what happens if my concerns are justified and ignored? Nothing good. And I yield back the balance of my time.
Welcome back, everybody. Welcome to Everything Allegedly. My name is Sean. Thank you so much for joining me today. I hope you recognize the voice that you just heard because that man is a national treasure. That was Ron Paul. And his words there from 2009 seem prophetic today. His words on the topic of that time about war and increased aggression. Well, those words have aged like the finest of wines. And unfortunately, our foreign policy aged like milk. And I wish we would have heeded his warning. I wish we would have heeded his what if message back then. I wish we would have done something different. You know, I remember when I heard Ron Paul speak for the first time. I wasn't like an original Ron Paul supporter. I was kind of young to be on that bandwagon. But I remember when I heard him speak for the first time, I it was like the first time that I heard Nirvana. I think I've mentioned this uh, analogy before on the podcast, but before Nirvana was on the scene, there was a lot of really terrible music. It was like glam rock and pop Michael Jackson type stuff. Not that that stuff's not kind of good, but it doesn't feel real. And when Nirvana Smells Like Teen Spirit came on for the first time, I remember thinking, wow, music doesn't have to suck. (laughs) And that's what I thought when I heard Ron Paul for the first time. I thought, oh my gosh, wow, not all politicians have to suck. Unfortunately, he stands in a pretty small group of non-sucking politicians. But anyway, I want to thank you again for joining me. I'm very impressed with the downloads. Thank you so much for listening, for sharing, for subscribing, all of that good stuff. Now, I had an episode prepared for today. I've been working on this one for quite a while. But when the Israel-Palestine situation popped off, well, now it doesn't seem like an appropriate topic to cover. I will release the episode. It will come out eventually, but not today. And although I wasn't planning on talking about this topic, I think we need to discuss the Israel-Palestine conflict because my heart is really hurting about the utter inhumanity that I'm seeing right now. And maybe you have some fatigue about this Israel-Palestine situation. I know I do. I've been hearing about it now for two weeks. It is basically the only thing in the news cycle right now. So it has a way of fatiguing you. I don't want to become callous to the situation, though. So I try to remain engaged with it, at least to the best that I can, because I've seen so many awful videos, so many heart-hurting things that I want to just tune it out, but I think it's important to talk about because this is a defining moment in our history. No matter what happens right now in this moment, we're going to look back at it. We're going to look back at it and say, thank God we took a more humanitarian approach or We're going to look back on it and say, that's how World War III started. I don't want that to happen. 
So whatever very small part I play in the information space, I want to do my part to stem the tides of war and atrocity because I've seen this happen before. I've seen this happen before a few times. I'm old enough to remember how these things played out in the past, and I have studied these situations in the past since becoming an anti-war, non-aggression believer myself. So I think I can talk about it today. Now, where it comes to Israel and Palestine, this topic is fraught with all kinds of emotions and feelings and anger and hurt and resentment. And I have been on both sides of this. Because of the unique perspectives I think I was given throughout my life, where I have friends who were, I'll say, firsthand accounts or secondhand accounts, second generation, from the conflicts that happened on both sides in that region. One of my very best friends in adulthood, his family actually fled the area because of these conflicts. And so I've tried to pay attention to it for a long time, and I can say that I have been on both sides of it. I try to remain as neutral as I can because I believe that taking sides in a situation like this ultimately leads to increased aggression, which I would like to avoid. But right now, you're being asked to join a team. That's what the propaganda is about. That's what these awful videos that you're seeing are doing. They're trying to make you angry. And they're trying to get your consent to start a broader war. Just like what happened after 9-11, when we were shown those traumatic images over and over and over, thousands of times they were on the airways. What they were doing was they were trying to make you mad. They were trying to get your endorsement to go to war with people who didn't do anything to you. And this is a very complicated situation we find ourselves in right now. A very complicated situation that has a really long history. Now, anytime you get into the topic of Israel, you're accused of anti-Semitism if you have anything critical to say about it. That is a tactic. Just like after 9-11, if you said that you were against going to war, George W. Bush said, if you're not with us, you're with the terrorists. Getting you to endorse war is a tactic. Playing on your emotions to endorse war is a tactic. Now, Israel is an explicitly Jewish nation. So this is how they're able to pull off that tactic by saying that you're anti-Semitic if you criticize them. However... I think we can all agree that America was founded as a Christian nation. Whatever it is now, I don't know. It's much more secular, obviously. But as much as I criticize the American government, I have never been accused of being anti-Christian. So, 
the anti-Semitic criticism, that doesn't matter to me. Because I know that my heart is clear, and I know that I am examining this situation as neutrally and honestly as possible. I don't have a dog in the fight other than I don't want people to suffer. We've got to understand there are some other tactics being played, some conflations that are happening in order to get you to endorse a broader, a larger war. One of these is that the state of Israel and the government of Israel and the Jewish people are the same thing. They are not the same thing. As with the example I just gave you, I am not the U.S. government. When they say on the news, we are going to war, we are doing this, we are doing that, that's not we. I am not the government of America, and neither are the Jewish people the government of Israel. They also conflate Hamas and the Palestinian people. Hamas is a lot of things. It is a a political party in Palestine, and it is a... uh, quite clearly a a terrorist organization that does terrorist things. But that is not the people of Palestine. They're not all that. They want you to conflate other things like Zionism, Judaism, and Christianity. These are not the same either, and I'll explain that further when we get there. And they want you to conflate a holy war with a secular, political war aspirations, and they're not the same thing. And so we're going to parse some of those out because we need to be armed with some of the facts and some of the tactics and some of the things that are being used to pull our heartstrings in the direction of a further conflict. I'm shocked at the current round of propaganda that we're hearing right now. You know, there's a lot of people on this alternative uh, alternative media space who I have listened to, you know, they have claimed this kind of non-intervention philosophy in the past. Many of them have admitted that what happened in uh, Iraq and Afghanistan were complete boondoggles by the U.S. And now I'm hearing some of these same people justify further wars right now. They're they're not justifying a... a, uh, bringing the people... Who, who took the specific act to justice, they're advocating for a broader war. And that's a totally different thing. Some of these people, uh, Ben Shapiro, obviously, um, Dan Bongino, surprising to me, Sebastian Gorka, which is an, ab- he's an absolute joke. Absolute joke. Anyway, these people are really beating the war drums, and there's they have big audiences. There's a lot of uh, people in the sort of alternative or right space that are listening to their opinions about this conflict. But they're not delivering news. They're not delivering news about the conflict. They're delivering pathetic propaganda and dis- dehumanizing rhetoric, and I've seen it before. I've seen this before, and so that's why I need to talk about this. It's not a popular topic, let me tell you. I'm sure there will be, I know for a fact there will be people in my audience who are offended by this. You might stop listening to me. Maybe you didn't even get this far. I know that broadly speaking, because I just looked at a Quinnipiac poll of support for Israel, that support for Israel is very high. 
And in fact, it shows that up to 80% of those that were polled agreed with the fact that we should send Israel um, weapons, money, and uh, more support. So I know this topic isn't popular, but again, my heart is hurting. I need to talk about it. And um, as, as saddened that I am to see people in the alternative media space taking such a violent approach to this, well, what it certainly does is it puts their cards on the table. Because since COVID, a lot of people have acted like they were taking the side of humanity and taking a less government-driven approach. But we can see now that that's not the case. We can see now that that's definitely not the case. Because right now we are kind of in the fog of war. We're in the beginning stages where what they're doing is they're, they're trying to gain your support. They're trying to get enough people on their side, kind of like taking the war and the conflict on the campaign trail. Right now, they are simply campaigning for war. I don't want this. Now, there's a lot of uh, big scares and, and, and big claims, and right now, they're asking you not to think, but to react. And I think we need to take a deep breath, take a step back before we react. Now, I just want to say that, uh, you know, my stance on this, I don't, I don't stand with, um, with Palestine, uh, with, with Israel. For that matter, I, I don't stand with Ukraine or Russia. When I say that, I don't stand with those governments. I don't stand with what we are um, asked to support in the media. I stand with the people of those places, with the peaceable humans that live in those places, not the governments and not the wars. And you might be saying, Sean, how can you say that? How can you say that right now when Israel was just attacked in such a violent way, where innocent Israelis were attacked and, and are currently being held hostage? Now, I condemn those actions by Hamas completely because that is a terrorist act. It's a violent aggression towards innocent people. But the calls for Israel support right now, they're not asking for your support to hold those terrorists accountable. They're asking for your support to go to war. They're, quite frankly, asking for your support to to harm innocent people, to kill innocent people. And in this case, because of the sort of geographic situation, they're asking for your support in a genocide, and I won't give mine. I won't give my consent to, to attack innocent people. Now, this conflict is really complicated, and it's really old. It goes back a long time. Now, if you're living in that Fox News bubble, you might just assume that this just started two weeks ago. But this is like the Hatfields and McCoys. This has been going on for 100 plus years at least. And it's unpopular at this moment to not support this burgeoning war. But I have to do it. So how do we examine this fairly? How do we talk about this fairly and try to take a uh, non-interventionist position uh, without uh, 
without being biased, without acting upon our feelings. I think to examine this fairly, we have to start with some of the hypocrisy that we're being asked to believe. Now, one of the things that I, I find really incredible is that we're being asked to take a side with the very, very powerful and well-armed Israel. That's where we're being asked to take a side. Now, you have to observe the power inequality in this situation, the imbalance of power. You know, one of the things that was a huge topic of discussion over the last several years with BLM and all the talk of racism was that the imbalance of power is what actually is the reason for the racism. This is why they say that whites are inherently racist and blacks cannot be racist. That is because the imbalance of power. I think we can look at the situation in Israel and Palestine and see that there is a massive imbalance of power. Israel is literally one of the most powerful nations on earth. It's rich. It's backed by the U.S. in almost every case. And then you have Palestine, which by every account is one of the poorest on earth. It's politically powerless. It's a tiny place. It's only 140 square miles, and they are packed in there. Millions of people are packed into a tiny space. It's like shooting fish in a barrel. It really is. They're completely surrounded by Israel, except for a very small border um, near the, the, the south to Egypt. And um, as I mentioned, really, really, really dense. And it's a tough life. The people there have a tough life. It's not a pleasant place to live. So we must recognize this imbalance of power because bullies beat up on those who are weaker than them. Palestine is at a massive disadvantage. And when I say this, I'm talking about the people of Palestine. They're at a massive disadvantage. And yes, I know that terrorists have come from that region and terrorists act in that region against their neighbor, Israel. But when we talk about aggressions toward the people of Palestine, we must observe that this is bully action. Because as a stronger, more powerful more militarily equipped nation, your first action should be to protect the innocents. Why do we call bullies bullies? It's because they beat up on people who uh, generally are less capable of fighting back. So I fully support Israel's action to hold terrorists accountable. But what I cannot support is that they harm the innocent people of Palestine who are as weak and powerless as it gets. I've seen some awful rhetoric on the, on the internet that really hurts my heart, talking about the average IQ in Palestine, calling the Palestinians animals, saying that because they uh, voted in Hamas, that makes them all guilty. The thing about Palestine is it's a very young population. Half of the residents are children. They didn't even vote. So I, I, I can't buy into that rhetoric. I, I can't tolerate that. It's awful to me. Anyway, uh, another one of the hypocrisies that we're being asked to, um, to believe is, uh, is the similarities between Russia and Ukraine. Now, Ukraine, we are told, is an occupied nation by Russia. Any... Ukraine offensive action that was happening uh, during during th that ongoing war was considered justified. 
I believe it was Lindsey Graham who said that uh, dead Russians are a good thing. So Gaza and Palestine is about as occupied a nation as you can get. And whether or not you support that, it's pretty obvious that the people of Palestine are living in essentially what is a, a camp. Everything is controlled by the, uh, by the Israeli government. They don't even have the opportunity to use the waters, uh, the, the ocean near them. So when we are being asked to support the Ukrainians in any of their offensives, now we're being asked to support the giant superpower on the other side of this. And how about a more direct comparison? I'll give you a more direct comparison. Russia took actions in that conflict that led to the power going out in Ukraine. And what did we hear from the news media? We heard this is a humanitarian crisis of the highest order. This is Putin's war crimes. This is this worse. This is a, a crimes against humanity, we were told. Now, Israel actually makes clear explicitly that they had plans to and did shut off the power, the critical infrastructure, the water to Gaza. And nobody bats an eye. Nobody bats an eye. We're, we're, nobody cares. We're just supposed to understand this as uh, just action against a population of people who are uh, mostly innocent. Mostly innocent. Mostly kids. Uh, how about another example? Border walls. You know, I'm not really a border hawk. I grew up in Southern California. I don't really care that much about the southern border. Basically, everyone I knew was Mexican anyway, so that one doesn't really bother me, but we were bombarded with media stories saying that it's uh, bad to support a border wall, you're a racist, you're a xenophobe, this and that. Have you ever seen the border situation around Israel? It's a massive border wall. So, whatever your opinion on all of the cases I just mentioned... We're being asked to be hypocritical in our support. We're being asked to believe completely opposing things when it comes to this conflict. I try to remain consistent in my views, and those views are always skeptical of war. You might be saying, but isn't this different? Isn't this a holy war ordained by God? You know, I've heard some of that recently. Is this war about a, a greater good? And um, I don't think that's ever the case. I think we have governments propagandizing us into believing that's the situation, but it just never really is. There's never a reason to hurt and kill innocent people, and I'm sick of it. I'm sick of it. And um, as I mentioned, most of, the, most of the population of Gaza is children. They are, by definition, innocent in this situation. I mean, I, I can't even tell you about the hi, hi, just horrific videos that I've seen. I, I can't believe with some of the community standards we're supposed to believe that these social media companies have, you can just post videos of these absolutely atrocious and traumatic things. And that's just fine, apparently. That's, that's just fine, I guess. 
You know, and, and speaking of, of dead children, we, we have to examine some of the propaganda that's come out around this war. Did you hear about the story of the 40 dead babies? The 40 dead babies in Israel. Well, that story was just not true. It's just war propaganda. Now, I'm not saying that atrocities didn't happen because they did. But that story that we heard was propaganda. It was fake. But let's just say it was totally true. Let's just say that did happen. Let's just say Hamas did kill 40 babies. Well, um, is your is your conscience, is it acceptable to you to, to kill more of them? It's not for me. I, I hope not. I hope it's not. You know, I was told growing up, I think most of us were, that two wrongs don't make a right. But now I'm being asked to do exactly the opposite, or at least I'm I'm being asked to lend my support to do the exact opposite of that. Two wrongs do not make a right. That is true. And, um, you know, the, the, the 40 dead babies, I, I even, I hate saying it. I hate saying it. It's so painful just to say, but, but that's why, that's why they do this. That's why they do this. Do you remember the situation with the incubator babies in Kuwait? This is a, this is a long time ago now. This is 1990, I believe it was. They, uh, the story was that the, the Iraqi soldiers in Kuwait were ruthlessly dumping Kuwaiti babies out of incubators and just letting them die on the cold floor. That's basically what they were saying. These were the actions of, you guessed it, animals, right? Who would do something like that? And this was used, this propaganda was used to get U.S. involvement in Kuwait and to start a war. Every news outlet ran with this. And um, every war pig politician cited it and repeated it over and over and over. But the problem is it wasn't true. It was completely made up by a PR firm called Hill and Knowlton. And the, uh, the president of that firm, that PR firm, was a guy called Craig Fuller. And wouldn't you know that uh, when, when uh, George W. Bush was, um, or I'm sorry, when, uh, when, when Poppy Bush uh, was uh, Reagan's vice, that guy, Greg Fuller, was Bush's chief of staff. And Hill and Knowlton got $10.7 million for making up that lie. So we have ex historic examples of how not only does war propaganda propagate, but that it's also deliberately created. These, uh, these stories are sometimes made up out of whole cloth to get you to support their, their actions, to support um, aggressions toward others. And there's a name for it. It's called atrocity propaganda. It's a formula. You can look it up. And it works like this. The first step is to create a moral outrage or indignation. The second step is to essentially authorize uh, punitive measures. And then the third step would be to uh, mobilize and control efforts against the apparent perpetrators. So it's pretty simple three-step process. Make something up, get everybody mad, and then attack 
because of the reasons that you made up. Sometimes these things are called false flags. Another example of this was um, more recently in uh, the Libya conflict. So uh, you may remember that the war pigs wanted to go into Libya. Muammar Gaddafi wasn't playing ball. And so uh, they wanted to get him. And uh, there were stories that uh, Gaddafi's soldiers were being given Viagra so that they could go on raping sprees. It wasn't true. It was totally made up. But, uh, but they did get Gaddafi, didn't they? What did Hillary Clinton say? We came, we saw, he died. So I guess in the end, it doesn't really matter whether it was a lie or not because they were able to achieve their ends. And um, I guess in a not-so-ironic way, Gaddafi met his end by being sodomized to death with a knife. How humans do that to other humans, I don't know. Perhaps they had too much propaganda on their mind. So we know that the war pigs lie. And um, we still believe it the next time. That is a, uh, it's a painful pill to swallow. But they also tell the truth, don't they? Sometimes they tell the truth right there in the open. Do you remember the Nord Stream pipeline? Joe Biden says, we're going to blow it up. <laughs> well, he didn't exactly say we're going to blow it up, but he said we're going to make it not work, something like that. And, um, and then when it actually blows up, U.S. intelligence is like, oh, my God, we're shocked. What happened? Why, it must have been Russia blowing up their own pipeline. But then Israel says that civilians are legitimate targets. Israel tells the Al-Ali hospital to evacuate. And then the hospital is struck by a bomb. And hundreds of people are killed. And Israel acts exactly the same. They go, oh my God, it must have been a Hamas rocket that misfired. So again, sometimes they tell the truth and bad, thing ha bad things happen. And I think we need to take their word for it. When they tell us they're going to do awful things, we should believe them. So uh, why all the propaganda right now? Why all this new war effort? Are they fighting some kind of holy war? Well, if they are, I'm not a part of it. But there is an aspect of this that I think we should be aware of. And that is Zionism. I think this war is a lot about Zionism. Again, they will say that you are anti-Semitic if you criticize Zionism. But Zionism is not Judaism. Some Jews are Zionists. Some Jews are not. And that's just a simple fact of the situation. Now, the Zionist movement started around that same era that I talk so much about. Started around the 1890s. And if you would have guessed that it was started by some of the same robber barons that started some of the, of the other crazy stuff we talk about, well, you would be right. It was basically funded by the Rothschilds. And although their goal may sound like a noble one, the goal was to establish a homeland for the Jewish people. And so I don't necessarily oppose Zionism. I don't think there's anything wrong with establishing a 
uh, a safe, uh, safe country for, for your own people. The problem was that some people already live there and uh, sort of like eminent domain. So uh, I went to a high school that was brand new and uh, within uh, my high school, it was put on this giant plot of land, but in one corner of it, there was a guy's house. So essentially our baseball and soccer fields uh, surrounded some guy's house and he wouldn't sell it. It's uh, it, it just, they built the school around it. He wouldn't sell no matter what, but because of eminent domain, they, they eventually took it from him. And so that's kind of what I feel like is, uh, is going on. And, you know, I, I, Again, I, th- I think it's okay to establish a, a safe haven for your people, but not at the expense of maybe people who already live there. There's a lot of holy sites there, but they, they belong to all of the Abrahamic religions. Now, when Zionism started, there was uh, campaigns, essentially, that were started to uh, set certain aspects of their cause in motion. Some of these we still use today or we still uh, think today. Uh, some of those are like that uh, Jews are God's chosen people. Now, if you're going to try to do something like eminent domain, then um, you, you can justify that by saying uh, you have a uh, rightful uh, ownership of that place. Or another one of them that was started around this time were that Jews were a race of people. And uh, Zionism is about uh, expanding the state of Israel. It's about creating uh, something called Greater Israel. I will post a picture of this. The problem with Greater Israel and this idea is that it includes all of Gaza and the West Bank. It includes uh, big parts of Syria, Iraq, huge parts of Saudi Arabia and Egypt. And so this was the goal of essentially an organization or a movement that was established a little over a hundred years, but it's not Judaism. Judaism was chugging along for thousands of years before it. So Zionism is a relatively new movement in the world of Judaism. And I don't think uh, in my you know, understanding that uh, uh, Judaism and Zionism are the exact same thing. In fact, I know they're not. And like I said, some Jews are Zionist, some are not. Now, what you must understand about Zionism is that right now, the political party in charge in Israel is a Zionist political party. They're called Likud. It is the right wing. It's probably a very right wing, you might say, political party in Israel. Benjamin Netanyahu is the president, the, you might say, the leader of that party. It's his party. And, well, he didn't start it, but he's a member of that party. And um, the Likud platform very recently, like within the last 20 years, has uh, you know made statements uh, like the, I'll, I'll quote, uh, the Jewish communities in Judea, Samaria, Samaria, and Gaza are realizations of Zionist values. Uh, here's another quote. 
the government of Israel flatly rejects the establishment of Palestinian Arab state west of the Jordan River. So that is one political party in Israel, but it happens to be the one that's in charge right now. Kind of reminds me of the neocons in America when they came out with the project for a new American century. And what tends to happen when you're looking for war and you're looking for conflict is that you find it. Not all political parties in Israel are Zionist parties, but again, the one that's in charge right now is. Now, Israel actually helped create Hamas. I know this is uh, not something popular to say. But um, at the time, in the 1960s, right-wing Israelis were looking to undermine the PLO, Yasser Arafat, who was kind of the uh, opposition player at that time. And what they were looking to do was create an entity that would oppose their opposition at the time to kind of play them against each other, if you will. And um, if you don't believe me, I'm going to drop in a quote right here from, again, none other than Ron Paul. I, the I thank the gentleman uh, for yielding, and I ask unanimous consent to revise and extend my remarks. Without objection. Uh, Madam Speaker, um, I rise in opposition to this resolution, uh, not because uh, I am taking sides and, and picking who the bad guys are and who the good guys are, but I'm looking at this more from the angle of being a uh, United States citizen and American, and I think resolutions like this uh, really do us great harm. Uh, in many ways, what's happening in the Middle East, and in particular with Gaza right now, we have some moral responsibility for both sides, uh, in a way, because we provide help and funding uh, for both Arab nations and Israel. And uh, so we definitely have a moral responsibility, and especially now, today, the weapons being used to uh, kill so many Palestinians are American weapons, and uh, American funds essentially are being used uh, for this. But there's a political liability, which I think is something that we fail to look at because too often there's so much blowback from our intervention in areas that we shouldn't be involved in. You know, Hamas, if you look at the history, you'll find out that Hamas was encouraged and really started by Israel because they wanted Hamas to counteract Yasser Arafat. And you say, well, yeah, that was better then and served its purpose, but we didn't want Hamas to do this. So then we as Americans say, well, we have such a good system, we're going to impose this on the world. We're going to invade Iraq and teach people how to be Democrats. We want free elections. So we encourage the Palestinians to have a free election. They do, and they elect Hamas. So we first indirectly and directly through Israel help establish Hamas. Then we have election. Then Hamas becomes dominant, so we have to kill them. You know, it, it just doesn't make sense. During, during the 80s, uh, you know, we were allied with Osama bin Laden. 
and uh, we were contending with the Soviets. It was at that time our CAA thought it was good if we radicalized the Muslim world. So we financed the madrasa schools to radicalize the Muslims in order to compete with the, with the Soviets. There's too much blowback. There's a lot of reasons why we should oppose this resolution. It is not in the interest of the United States. It's not in the interest of Israel either. So there you go. So uh, right now we can see that uh, it, it kind of sounds like the party in charge right now in Israel is the equivalent to the U.S. neocons. Their explicit goal is to expand Israel's territory. And they have taken steps to increase that tension, not diplomacy, which is just like what the neocons did. Now, again, I'm not justifying the actions of Hamas terror, but when both sides are committed to escalating, we find ourselves in war. And because this has happened so many times in the past, we have to ask, is war the goal? Is war the goal? War should never be the goal. <laughs> it should never be the goal. Uh, it should always, always be a diplomatic resolution. Now, uh, I don't really care about the Holy War. Again, probably an unpopular opinion. I don't care about the Holy War. I actually don't give a damn who controls those areas if it means killing innocent people. Now, many Christians are duped into supporting these atrocities because there is a perceived kinship with Israel. And um, it even it, it says in the Bible, it says, we will be blessed if we bless Israel. However, I'm pretty sure that what the Bible was talking about was not the government that was established essentially by the UN or the precursor of the League of Nations in the 1950s. What it's referring to is the believers, the church. It wasn't referring to a secular government. The Bible was not referring to people who jockey for power in government. The Bible was using Israel as a uh, euphemism for the church, for the believers. So, furthermore, if we critically examine the relationship of the religions in the area and what we're being asked to support as far as a holy war goes— I think that what we'll see is that we're being given uh, propaganda uh, on religious lines that puts people into in-groups and out-groups. But is it real? I don't know if it is. Uh, going through the last two and a half decades of conflict with Middle East countries, we were exposed to a lot of propaganda about the, uh, the Muslim faith. Now, what do Christians believe? I'm a Christian, and what we believe is basically right there in the name. Christ, Jesus, the Son of God. He was sent to be crucified to forgive our sins. He rose from the dead. There is a, uh, he is the Son of God, and uh, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit make up the triune Godhead. And as much as I struggle with that concept, that is what Christians believe. Now, what do Muslims believe? 
Muslims believe that uh, Jesus was a prophet who was sent to deliver a divine message, uh, a divine message, excuse me, uh, to humanity. And they believe that he did perform miracles and that he ascended into heaven, but that he was not crucified. And they don't believe he was the son of God. And uh, the Jewish faith, uh, what do they believe? Well, they don't believe that Jesus was anything. In fact, uh, they believe that he was a criminal who was tried and convicted um, by Jewish law. So I'm not asking anyone to make enemies of other faiths because I believe everyone does have a path to redemption. Don't believe in this idea that you're, uh, uh, you know, if you're a, if you're a, uh, a good and moral person, don't believe that you're damned to hell if you haven't found the right one. But I'm just saying that maybe we're being propagandized into these in-groups and out-groups where maybe they don't exist. Maybe the religious alignments that we have been fed are not actually rooted in fact. And maybe the religions themselves and not the propaganda can all fit together very nicely. After all, they all have the same root of Abraham. And the reason I point that out again, it's, it's not to, to create any further tensions. It's just to say that Maybe whatever feelings you have about a religious war and choosing a side might have been marketed to you. And so, again, I think we can all love everybody. We can all extend everyone some grace. And I don't think that we need to attack and hurt each other because our beliefs vary slightly because we've been told that one person is an enemy and another is not. Call me crazy. But that's the way I feel. And right now, when I, when I see what's going on, when I see innocent people being hurt, and especially these, these I mean, there's these heartbreaking videos of, of children being hurt, absolute innocence. I would do anything for my wife and children, including giving my own life easily. No problem. What if I was in the situation of these Palestinian innocents? There's over two, two and a half, 2.2 million people there. And, and some small amount of them is probably terrorists. When I say small amount, I mean relative to the entire population. But the innocents there, their moms, their, their dads, their children, their, their grandparents, they love their families like we do. The vast majority are just trying to live their lives in peace. It's hard to imagine the horrors of war because of the life that I live. But if I just take a second to try to imagine it, I mean, it's, it's too much to bear. It's just, it's too much to bear. So I can't give a tacit endorsement of war and its horrific effects on innocence. Uh, you know, I can endorse holding people accountable, but those who commit atrocities, but I, I, I have to explicitly condemn war. And it doesn't even make sense when you think about it. As I mentioned, there's 
2.2, 2.5 million people in Gaza. And the estimates I've seen is of the militant and, you know, terrorist wing, there could be 25,000 terrorists. And that's a lot. But it's only 1%. So what about that other 99%? What about them? And, um, and where does it end? You know, what, what's next? Hezbollah in, Le- in Lebanon and uh, Iran? Do we just destroy everyone? Are you okay with your conscience supporting that many innocent people dying? You know, I was on the wrong side of the Iraq war. And I regret that now. Not that my opinion had much to do with the outcomes of it, but because I feel guilt now for the anger that I had for the million or so Iraqis that lost, lost their lives needlessly. You know, I wasn't alive for it, but uh, you got to think about when we dropped those two bombs on, on Japan. How many kamikaze pilots did we get? A few? I don't know. I don't know exactly how many. But how many souls were wiped off the earth because of it? How many of them? I don't know. A lot. Too many. Too many innocent people who were just living their life got wrapped up in wars perpetrated by governments. Now, I hope at this point I have at least laid out some foundation for why this is a war being waged by political factions and not by the good people of Judaism, of Islam, or of Christianity. And if you're a member of one of those faiths, I would ask you to not have ill will toward your Abrahamic brothers and that you your emotions may be being hijacked by prop, uh, propaganda. I actually do believe that all of these religions are founded in compassion and love and peace. And I think we should exercise that and know that war is never justified. It's never the answer. So I am asking my audience, uh, limited as my reach may be, I'm, I'm begging you guys to think about this critically and kind of put the emotion aside as they run high. And please do not support war. Do not support the uh, the killing of innocent people who aren't engaged in this war. And I ask that you stand uh, for peace by any means, really by any means. Again, the people who are who are committing the atrocities should be held accountable. But under no circumstances should innocent people be harmed because of this. No song today. This is probably not a particularly fun episode to listen to. But I hope it, I hope it will stimulate your, your desire to think critically about what's happening. And maybe, maybe if just enough people will recognize that we're going down another path of needless war that we can stop this one from happening before it does. Anyway, I'll see you guys next time. Thank you so much for listening.